Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello listeners, this is Wendy. I just wanted to make a quick apology for what you're about to listen to. Unfortunately, after recording the podcast, Nathan contacted me to ask what the hell I'd done with my audio. It turned out that my laptop hadn't recognised my mic, and therefore it's recorded me through my laptop mic. The sound quality as a result, as you can imagine, is pretty bad. Nathan's done an amazing job to make it listenable at all, but it's not up to its usual standards, so please forgive me. You'll be glad to know that next week we're back in the studio with Cave, so this won't be an issue. We wanted to put this out regardless because uh, we felt it was a good podcast and hopefully it'll tide you over until next week. Anyway, apologies again and we'll be back next week with a higher quality audio podcast. It's the fight in. It's the fight in. Welcome listeners to our second pre-season bonus episode of The Extra Inch. My name is Windy and I'm joined by my psychic and best friend Bardi. Hello Windy. And our treacherous tactics guy Nathan A. Clark. Hello Nathan. (laughs) Hi. Tell the listeners why you're a traitor Nathan. Uh, Yeah they they found my my personal Swisher account and they've got some very compromising images of me so I I had to do what they asked. And what did Uh, they ask? For me to go on their podcast and... um, just repeat all the things I've been saying here, to be honest, so don't bother, just listen to our previous episodes. No, 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 they're both excellent podcasts in their own right, I think um, well worth a listen. Uh, so you're on Carthage Free Captain's um, podcast, We The Dealer yeah. Radio, which is um, a, a, an American Spurs podcast hosted by uh, Skipjack and with with Ben, for who's kind of a, a twi- I want to say a Twitter personality, that, that sort of... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's got better on it, uh, and I, I think it's a, it's a good podcast, and that was um, a good episode with you on, Nate. You did a good job there. And then you were on a team of John O'Shea? Uh, yeah, team of John O'Shea's uh, with um, some guys I know from Twitter. Um, so we're doing a two-part. I think we're going to maybe do another podcast today after I've recorded this. Um, so we did the first three. So we did uh, City, United, and Spurs. I'm going to do uh, Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal, um, previewing the top six. Also, a very good listen. Um, and Nico is a Man City fan, so he gave some quite good insight into how he thinks they'll fare this year, which was which is really interesting. Um, we're going to do a quick kind of roundup of of what's happened in the rest of preseason so far. We're recording this before the Girona game, which happens Saturday evening, so it's not kind of the final. Uh, it, it, we're not capturing everything that's happened, but everything that's happened so far, and certainly everything that's happened in the states. 
But I guess we'll start off with talking about transfers because that's what's on everyone's mind still. We're now a week away from the start of the season and we've still not signed anyone. We haven't really sold anyone either. We we found out in the week that Rio Griffiths joined Leon. He kind of got himself out of his contract because he'd, he'd only signed a third year of a scholarship and he's he's now permanently joined Leon. Other than that, there's not really been a great deal of news. But we had an interesting uh, question from Tommy Corduroy on Twitter who said, make an argument for it being a good thing that we're not making any signing. Bardi, can you make that argument? Uh, well, there's always, you could always look to um, the club being a bit stable, um, that we can't find anybody better than what we've already got. So there is that kind of argument. I Personally, I don't think it is a good thing that we haven't signed anyone. But, you know, I don't want to be accused of happy clapping, which quite often happens the moment, the moment you kind of defend our club's transfer policy. I, I suppose the other thing that I would add in there is that we have a, a coach as our manager. And, and by that, I mean someone who's genuinely capable of improving players and bringing out the best in players who are already at the club. And we've seen a number of players go from strength to strength under Pochettino. I mean, Rose and Walker were the obvious ones, but we saw last year Trippier and Davies get to almost their level. Um, Dembele's become a proper footballer as opposed to a very niche player who is good at certain parts of the game. Um, and, and there have been various other kind of youth players growing under Pochettino. Certainly, Delhi and, and Kane would be uh, obvious examples. So there is that argument. You don't necessarily need to sign players when you've got someone as adept at coaching as Pochettino. But I tend to agree that you need to freshen it up in some respects. Nathan, yeah, and I, any, sorry, go on, buddy. Sorry, and I, I, just, I just think as we looked last year, I think a lot of our players might have kind of reached their ceiling. They've kind of like tapped out. I don't think we're going to be able to squeeze anything more out of Trippier and Dembele and these kind of guys. So that's why we do kind of need to sign people. But it's not a huge disaster. I mean, we've kept Kane, we've kept Ali, and it looks like Eriksen is staying. So we're not going to lose any of our proper big players. Of course, there's still a question mark around Alderweireld and stuff, but it hasn't been a shambolic summer. We've had worse summers where we've where Berbatov has smuggled himself out of the club in the back of a in the in the boot of a car. You know, so it, it's not that bad. And we've replaced him with Fraser Campbell. Exactly. Nathan, are there any arguments from your perspective that kind of make this summer a, a, a good summer? Uh, Alex from Bristol was making a sort of um, against modern football argument in favour of not making any transfers in the sense that we're expected and all clubs are expected to make transfers and they make they create a lot of excitement around the idea of transfers and they're BT and Sky, they'll have been cutting up promos about who we are and who we aren't going to buy and all of that. And just sort of the, well, what if we didn't angle? And I'm I'm sympathetic to that view. I really am. I like the, the, the idea of the message that could send. But also, there are gaps in our squads that I'd like us to address. So it's difficult to fully get behind that. The other thing, and this is this is very obvious, uh, Windy Coys, but the other thing is that it allows opportunities for youth players. I guess my only issue with that is it's very sudden that we're now suddenly bringing youth players into the squad and... The players that have travelled to America weren't players that have had any exposure to first-team football before and, in my opinion, only went because of the injuries, because of the World Cup, and wouldn't have otherwise had opportunities. So if it was a strategic objective over the last two years to bring more youth players into the uh, into the first-team squad and to therefore not have the requirement to spend as much money, then I'd be fully behind it. But to me, it seems a slightly desperate uh, squad-filling objective at the moment without any real strategy or thought behind it. And that's not to say there haven't been some successes, which we'll, we'll speak about shortly. Um, but it doesn't feel pre-planned to me. And 
as I've kind of been quite vocal about this on Twitter, I think the lack of opportunities for youth players in English football in general is a, is a major problem at the moment, or in the Premier League rather in general. And I think us having not signed a whole bunch of randoms that might end up being squad fodder like in Kudu and Sissoko or whoever is probably a good thing because it means there might be more minutes to go around for our young players. But without them having had a taste last season, the expectations are going to be uh, too high for, for what could possibly be expected of them. So it's a double-edged sword. Uh, we had another question about the transfer window, which is more about the timing. So Sloan Glory Glory said, is the early closure of the Premier League transfer window having an effect on Daniel Levy's sell-before-you-buy policy? Or is it it's other things that have hindered Poch's pre-season preparation? Nathan, do you have any thoughts on the change in, in the, the shape of the window and, and how that's had an impact on Spurs? Yeah, I, I, I do buy into this idea that... Um the power is sort of taken out of English clubs' hands when when we have a shorter transfer window. I don't think that that means that we should never have shortened the window. I think that we have to hope that it becomes sort of trend um, around Europe and it becomes the norm because there are a lot of good reasons for uh, the window ending earlier as it is going to do for English clubs this summer. Um, It's probably one of the factors affecting the sale before you buy policy and it's probably a major one, but it might just be that the club has sort of grown to a stage where our wage bill and the financial reality means that it's really hard to find places for the table. I've always been looking at United, looking at Chelsea, looking at City going, look at all of these players on their books that don't pick up any minutes or on these huge wages and, and look how hard it is for them to move them on, thinking that that was just a financial thing. But I think it might be more intrinsically links to success and that it's just hard when you're a succeeding club to to move on players you don't want to have. Particularly when they're still holding value, and I, I would put Sissoko into that category amongst others, but also Janssen, you know, he, we're not going to let him go for nothing. We've paid a significant amount of money for him, and although he's been pretty much an abject failure, both with us and then on loan last year, there's still some value there because he's a full international. He's not He's not old. He's, what, 24, 25? Um, and, and Levy's not going to let him go for a pittance. So it is increasingly difficult to find find buyers. Um, these players are on big wages as well, which has to be taken into consideration. So I can sort of see the impact, and I, and I certainly can see why Levy is wanting to sell before buying, particularly with the shape of our squad in terms of homegrown players. We have limited spaces left in the squad if we are to name all the players. And of course, if you don't name all the players, that means you're stuck with, say, Nkudu for a year doing nothing getting paid to do nothing which is a huge problem that's the dream though i i also think the money in the premier league is is also a huge problem that realistically who's going to turn around and pay the um the 20 million that we want to recoup for jansen if you look across europe there aren't that many teams willing to do that and those teams that might want to do that have seen vincent jansen kick a ball so that's why it's not (laughs) happening if you look at the the cost the, the amount of money premier league's clubs are spending amongst themselves it's impossible to expect a top six team in France or Germany just to go all right here you go here's 30 million for um, for Janssen or Jack Grealish or Sissoko so the, the amount of money in the Premier League has created this bubble which we exist in which the prices are too high and it's also Daniel Levy hasn't adjusted to the fact that now if you want to buy Wilfred Zaha you're going to have to spend 70 million that the game has changed when you're buying within the Premier League. And that's a huge problem because we need English-based players, English, um, well, a player with an English passport. So that is a big problem that we need to adjust. And Levy is unwilling to seem to do that. 
So this is the next thing I was going to come on to. I mean, we knew about the window being short and we knew what was happening. There was ample time to plan for that and to be aware of, of what was going on. We knew there was a World Cup in the summer. We knew all of these things. These were not surprises. And but I, I would like to say, I don't think we expected to have so many players in the semi-final. I, don't, I think when we vote, we didn't realise there'd be five players in the England team, plus three or four of Belgium, one in France. We had an incredible amount of players who went really deep into the tournament. So I, I don't think we saw that possibly happening. That's fair. That's totally fair. But I think you have to, you always have to assume the worst in, in a World Cup year and assume that you're going to be without players in pre-season. And, you know, Poch made his kind of, what, what seemed to us a plea to, to have players in for the start of pre-season. That didn't happen for whatever reason. And Andy Perry on Twitter said, what is going on at our club this summer? It seems a shambles. Do you have an answer, Nathan? Do you, do you sort of, do you buy into huh. this fact that there's been a lack of planning? Do, do you see Levy as totally at fault here? It is... <laughs> it's it's sort of tempting to go into it feels a little bit like a shambles right this second but there's the very real possibility that for the next four days we'll sign a player a day and we'll keep all the players we have and suddenly we've gone from having a very good squad with some holes in it to one of the best squads in the world and just the other day we were saying what a shambles um the the chairman is so <laughs> i don't know i don't i don't want to go either way because um it's despite even okay even if we do do as I just suggested we've still left it late and there are still pre-season issues with doing that um but I think you just have to accept that as as being where the club is financially yeah I think that's a fair point I, I must admit I did stoke the fires a little the other day because I mentioned on Twitter that we don't have any players who are on loan to football league clubs um at the moment and and there was a lot of responses saying well we'd be crazy to loan players because we don't know who's going to make up our squad for the first first week my point would be we have a huge number of uh, development squad players of second year academy players who are at the point in their careers now in my opinion where they they need to be on loan and they're not going to be in a first team squad they're just not they're just not going to be in a first team squad um so i feel as though that feeds into this overarching issue with the way our transfer strategy is run and the way our uh, our link between the youth team and the first team is run. And I do feel we're really lacking that, dare I say, Tim Sherwood figure. The, the role that he did, which A, created opportunities for young players to, to get first team experience. And B, if they weren't going to get that, to sort out loans for them to, to ensure they were progressing. Um, which arguably led to uh, Kane being where he is now. Um but did you have any thoughts on that? Am I, am I just am I am I just obsessed with with youth players and unable to sort of see beyond that, or is that a real problem to you as well? No, it's a fair point. Um, I I like a director of football role. I know we, it's been bashed a few times, and maybe we haven't had the right people there. But there, there was some success under Arneson having him in that kind of role. We saw some bits and pieces come out of Camoli, and even Baldini. You know, we got Ericsson out of it, and. Um, so I quite like having that person there who's who's looking after the transfers, scouting. It takes the kind of pressure off Pochettino, and it kind of moves Daniel Levy out of that control that that controlling role. So I, I think I'm all for I'm all for director of football. Um, whether or not that would increase our chance with the youngsters, I don't know. I think Sherwood was kind of lucky that he had an amazing group there: um, Bentaleb, Kane, Mason, those guys. Um, I don't know if there is that youth player coming through that is there. I don't have the knowledge of it, but a director of football, of course, would help us in uh, in loaning and transfers. That's fair enough. And Nathan, what do you think the the stadium uh, build has, 
has had to do with this whole transfer saga. Do you are you of the belief that the cost of the stadium is such that we have to sell players before we can buy? <laughs> I really don't know. Um, I, the sort of the the deep financial side isn't my area. It, it, the, those who are more of that speciality say, well, the 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 finances of the stadium are ring fenced. Um, but just from a, a very very layman's angle, it seems very hard to for me at least in my head to to see those as entirely separate things because there's still a money into the club and there's still a money out of the club. Yeah, yeah. So it's hard for me to wrap my head around it. Yeah, I totally agree. I've, I've, <clears throat> I'm with you all the way there. And also we know the cost of the stadium increased over time due to various things, Brexit being one of them. Um, so, so there were issues there, of course, with, um, with cash flow and, and leverage and loans. Um, like you say, there's always been this argument that there's the stadium cost is ring fence and transfer funds are ring fence, but some of it comes down to what we can afford to pay in wages. And the argument's always been that we can't afford to pay the big wages that the other bigger clubs in the Premier League can pay, and some of the smaller clubs, dare I say, because we don't have the matchday revenue. And maybe after a year of this new stadium where we will have a larger matchday revenue and we'll have a better idea of what we can bring in on a weekly basis, maybe then our wage structure can change. I don't think so. I just have a I have a feeling that under under Enoch, under Levy, we will never go out and buy Milenkovic Savage. We will never go and just drop a hundred million pounds on a player and buy the one of the best players in his position at the world at that moment. I just I don't see it happening under this stewardship of this club. They've done some great things, and I'm not Enoch out at all. I think the the way our clubs improved. Um, the hiring of Pochettino and the stadium and everything else, that how our club is branded now and the kind of influence we have on world football is amazing. But I don't see these guys ever kind of going in there and doing like what City does uh, or even like Chelsea go in there and just buy. Do you need a bit, you need a ball playing midfielder? Here you go, go um, buy it. Here's Jorginho for you. I just don't see us ever doing that. that. That's kind of why I was disappointed that we didn't sign any kind of under the radar players that were cropping up in statistical models and and showing that there's value there to be had in players that aren't so well known. Yeah. I, I kind of hope that this summer would be the summer we finally sign a couple of those players. You know, the Nguyen Kante or you know, someone who's not well known to Premier League fans but comes in and just instantly does the does the job that we need them to do. We haven't had one of those signings for a while. But then I think there was also the. I don't think they've. I think someone like Amos could do that. Could be that Ngolo Kante find and. For every N'Golo Kante, you know, just look at Watford's squad or you go through Hull's players or, you know, there's thousands of players that aren't. N'Golo Kante is, a, is an exception, yeah. you know. Yeah. OK, so you mentioned Amos there, which seems like a good springboard to go into our pre-season results. So uh, overall, it's been a pretty successful um, trip to the States in terms of results and even in terms of performances. The downside being the injuries, which we've picked up along the way. So obviously Foyth immediately basically got injured. Onimo and Winks couldn't even travel because they were injured in advance. Whilst we were out there, it sounds like Keziah Sterling suffered quite a serious injury. And I, I gather he's even stood in hospital in America. Um, also, we lost Lamella to injury. Sissoko went off injured. Uh, so, so on that front, things weren't great. But on the pitch, broadly speaking... We look quite good, um, and some of the youngsters look quite good. Nathan, let's start with you. What have you made of the um, the preseason games and some of the players that were less familiar to you? I've, I've, I'm really big on Skip. I've, I've, I've watched a couple of his youth games before uh, and a couple in sort of cut-up form. 
Um, but I've been, and so I had a, a high opinion of him, and I knew that you were keen on him. But I, it's really stepped up watching him play uh, in preseason. Amos has been been good as well, and um, I, I think he should be proud of his performances. And it seems like the suggestion is that he's going to have some match time soon. Um, but my my excitement in midfield is very much for Oliver Skip. Um, and of course, Kyle Walker Peters picked up another game as well. I had a bit of a uh, a disagreement with Dan Kilpatrick on Kyle Walker Peters, in which I was saying that I was really impressed with him. He looks so classy, um, and Dan said that he disagreed. And what we decided it came down to was that Dan Kilpatrick was viewing him now as a senior player, giving him the benefit of the doubt, and saying, "Okay, in this group, in this situation, you're one of the older players. So what are you achieving? What actual effect are you having on the game? What what have you created?" Whereas I was still perhaps patronising him in the fact that I was still looking at as a youth player and, and not worrying so much about what he actually achieves but saying look at his first touch look at his comfort on the ball look at his change of direction look at um, how sensible a lot of his decisions are being made and maybe he is beginning to reach that point where, where we need to say okay you have the skill set but what are you actually doing I thought what was impressive with Walker Peters's performance at right back which was against Milan I think um, was he he was and this has always been the case with him. He was so willing to take the ball in pressured situations to relieve those younger players in midfield. So in that particular match, we had Skip Amos and George Marsh, who's another young midfielder in midfield. Um, obviously, none of whom have, have got any kind of first team experience for us aside from, from this summer. Uh, Walker Peters was constantly available, constantly an offer for them, an outlet for them. Uh, took the ball, was able to control it under pressure, was able to wriggle free and then and then lay, lay it back to centre-backs or find something up the line even. And that was that was really good to see. And that, to me, showed a maturity in the sense of him acknowledging his um, change in role in, in the squad. And he gave a really great interview, I think it might have been to Alistair Gold, where he spoke about finding his voice in training over the last year and, you know, now being in a position where he can shout at Ericsson or Kane or whoever and and that showed to me a, a real growth in him. And I've always said that I felt he should have been involved a lot more over the last two and a half to three years. And I stand by that. But if Pochettino is waiting for, for something to, to click before he gives them a chance, then maybe that's it. Maybe it's that finding the voice, finding the confidence that he's waiting for before he'll throw a young player into the, um, into the first team. Buddy, you've not seen you've not seen all the games, but what have you made of the youngsters? No, I, w- I would just like to comment on Carl Walker Peters sure. that he's playing in a highly kind of specialised role, and you know some of the best fullbacks in the world don't actually mature as a player until they reach their mid to late twenties. If you look at some of the best fullbacks in the game now, Marcelo, these kind of guys, they're late twenties. That's when they really blossom and they learn their position. The fact that he's so young, he's comfortable on the ball, as you say, he's good, he's, he's good under pressure, he's not making stupid mistakes, he's not kind of like doing Serge Aurier kind of um, like incidents, it's, it's really promising. And I, I do think he's a, there's a big future for him there. Um, I would like to see him, as Dan Kilpatrick said, actually properly take a game by the scruff of the neck. But last season he had two performances, two league games and two man of the matches. So um, I, think he, I, think he's, I think he's ready for sure, to, to definitely start. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And have you seen the Skip videos? I mean, Skip is someone who I've liked for a couple of years now. He was playing up for the under-18s when he was... Uh, 15, he's he's played at centre-back, he's played at holding midfield, he's played at attacking midfield, he's played box-to-box. And I think defensive midfield and box-to-box are his two best roles. Um, I think he showed in, in all of his performances that he's got the ability to not just sit, but also to burst forward. He had that lovely pirouette against Milan where he, he beat a man with a piece of clever skill and then couldn't quite get on the end of his own touch. Um, but there's so much ability to come from, from Skip and he's very promising, albeit he's only 17. Buddy, have you liked what you've seen of him from the highlights reels? Um, from watching the highlights, he looks good. He, I think, um, I, you know, I've complained in the past about Winks. I don't think he moves the ball quick enough and I don't think his passing is good enough, but I can, now I'm going to actually make a statement about Skip after watching a three minute video on his career. But I, I really like him. I like the way he moves. I like the way he, um, controls the ball. And yeah, there's definitely a player in there and it would be nice to see him, um, get some minutes this year. He's also got real tenacity, which will certainly appeal to Pochettino. And another player with that tenacity is Luke Amos, who, um, fr- from everything I've heard, it sounds like he's going to be rewarded with a three-year contract. He's 21. He spent the last half of last season on loan at Stevenage, where they absolutely loved him. They raved about him. They said he's one of the best players they've ever had uh, on loan. Um, he was creating. He was scoring goals. He played everywhere from right wing to holding midfield for them. Um Amos is a really, really competent, tidy footballer. I don't think he's ever going to be a world beater, but I can certainly see why he'd appeal to Pochettino in that he is incredibly tactically astute. He listens, he's mature, he does sensible things and he, he makes good decisions. So very excited to see um, how he can do in, over the first few weeks of the season. Although ultimately, I suspect when everyone's fully fit, he'll be back out on loan, possibly to a championship club. Uh, the other player who I was really impressed with, who I've again, I've liked for a while, is uh, TJ Ayoma who played at centre-back. He's mainly played at right-back for Spurs throughout his under-18 and under-23 career so far, but he's certainly better at centre-back. Um, I-, I think his use at right-back has given him extra confidence on the ball and his ability to bring the ball forward has really improved through that. So, you know, kudos to the coaching staff in our academy for, for developing that part of his game. He looked good. Nathan, was that the first time you'd seen him play? Yeah, yeah, I I was impressed with him. He he started the, as a right-sided centre back and he moved to the left centre back in a back three and looked pretty comfortable all over. I'm I'm definitely a fan of um getting your young centre halves to play games at full back so that they develop technical skills and develop suitability to playing out wide uh, and 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 playing in more open spaces. So I think that's really good. 
Yeah, uh, I mean, he was slightly fortunate in that Jaffet Tanganga, who who might have been ahead of him, was away playing with um, with England, so missed out. And I gather Tanganga's now having some time off after the England tournament, so won't play or won't be involved against Girona. So Ayoma might get another another shot in that game as well. But yeah, he he grasped opportunity. And the other player to really mention is Anthony Georgiou, who is a player that I've always thought is is good but not great. But I thought he played really well at left back. Um, Primarily a winger, of course, but has played left back plenty for the 23s, particularly when they played three at the back. And again, he was a player who who took his chance. He made lots of good bursts forward. He was very sensible defensively. He also made one particularly good interception at the back post where he read the game well. So that was also really pleasing. And um, yeah, it was just it was nice to see nice to see Georgiou do well again in pre-season. And I look forward to seeing what happens with him. With he missed any... the penalty. He missed the penalty. He missed Get the rid penalty, of him. Of course, <laughs> in, the, in a draw. Yeah. Uh... Get rid. Bless him, he looked so disheartened after that as well. I really felt Good. for him, even though it was meaningless. <laughs> they they doubled up on him, Milan, and, and they really tried to give him a hard time. And and they obviously, they did have some success down his side. That's where a lot of their attacks were going. But I thought he dealt with a pretty difficult situation fairly well. I didn't realise that he'd been moved to left back. Um, but I think that's a really good move for his skill set, uh, for his long-term career. Definitely. He lacks the um, skill to make it as a winger, I think, personally, but he's got all the attributes for a left-back. He's really quick. Uh, he's actually quite strong in the tackle now as well, so I like that move. I like that move a lot. Were there any other players that stood out to you, Nathan, in terms of uh, other squad players who got opportunities? Uh, <laughs> I'm just trying to think through who played. I, I think I don't think that sort of any of our our squad players, other than obviously Lucas, had sort of already asserted himself as as being the big thing this summer in in lieu of no signings. Um, but I don't think sort of you know Lorente or Nkudu or Sissoko, whoever sort of really announced themselves this summer. I tend to I tend to agree. There's been quite a lot of talk about Nkudu. I noticed a thread on Reddit pop up about how he could finally make the breakthrough. I mean, he scored a great goal, but other than that, he's basically done nothing in preseason to make me think he's a good player. I, I still think he's basically rubbish and we should sell him um, yeah. and Llorente was hugely disappointing after scoring a couple in the first game uh, he was pretty much non-existent in the other matches he played in and his lack of effort as much as anything just constantly winds me up I find him very frustrating to watch yeah I, I just don't get this when this is your opportunity to make yourself an option for the manager when so many players are absent and you know you, you do nothing What's, is he is he desperate is he that desperate to leave and get a move away I don't know Strange one. I still I still find the Urente situation rather baffling, but there we go. Okay, we'll go back to talk about transfers, and this is because Bardi, you ran a poll on Twitter. Tell us about this. Uh yeah, Friday morning at work I was um it was the office was empty and I was just kind of like not working and I was thinking about all the all the transfers that kinda ha- were gonna happen and never happened and I just thought I started brainstorming with um, a couple of you guys on WhatsApp. I was like, who are these players that we've, we all thought were joining? Especially because like, um, Zaha is meant to be coming to us, but now all of a sudden he's linked to Chelsea. And all these names kept flooding back. So I did a World Cup of um, failed transfer sagas. And it was, um, it was quite stressful that in the final, um, Damiao and William made it to the final. And um, it was a tie, which I didn't expect. And I didn't even know you could have a tie when there's an odd number of people that vote. But yeah, so he went to extra time, and in extra time, William um, edged in front. So he is officially our greatest ever transfer failed transfer saga. Amazing. Yeah, I was quite disappointed that a couple of my favourites, like Rivaldo 
Um, Moutinho didn't get to the final. They actually got Rivaldo actually got knocked out by Berahino, which was a big surprise. But then I do remember there was that summer where he was on and off, and we bid twenty million pounds, and we were all furious that it didn't happen. And look, we dodged a massive bullet in in the end. So, so this is this is possibly recency bias, isn't it? In that you know, William is still it, clearly in everyone's minds, uh, likewise yeah. Berahino, and perhaps the the murmurings of of Damiao and Rivaldo and Mark Van Bommel who made it in as well, and Eto, yeah, quite right. That, that statement from Eto, which James Moore dug up when he scored, he scored a goal and he dedicated it to Tottenham fans, <laughs> and um, he he also mentioned he scored it because Sol Campbell scored. Um, Sol Campbell did the dirty on Tottenham, so he he did that as well to punish him. So, you know, these kind of things, everything popped up, all these all these interesting stories that have just been forgotten. I mean, Rivaldo, the, Rivaldo was the famous one because he wrote he wrote a letter. Yeah, but the, the the other funny one to come out was the Morientes deal, where um, Tottenham offered to pay for Morientes over a ten year period, and the Real Madrid <laughs> Real Madrid chairman said, "You're buying a footballer, not a washing machine. We don't accept it. We don't accept payments in installments." It's brilliant. <laughs> I mean, what was quite interesting was uh, Spooky, who's who's on the holidays. So he was a bit slow to the party, but uh, he came back and, and reminded us all about Michael Ricketts and also Michael Bridges, who, do you remember, it must have been, I reckon, around 2000. We were linked with Michael Bridges of Sunderland for yeah. at least a year, at least one summer, but if not two. It never, yeah. it never came off, but it kind of just shows how far we've come as a club that, you know, we, at one point we're looking to sign Bridges or Ricketts, who, which is really scraping the barrel, really, for a striker. And... And you know, and now we're signing no one. No, I mean, uh, now we're signing Davinson Sanchez for forty minutes. <laughs> I mean, there was also the. Do you remember when Pedersen was lighting things up at Blackburn? He was a constant. I don't even know how close we came to buying right. him, but he was constantly linked with us, and we would never put the money down. And then we ended up going to Blackburn, and we bought Bentley instead. So um, it is quite funny, and it does show the kind of hit hit and miss nature of the transfer market that. Some sometimes it just doesn't work out. Like we were desperate for Berahino and we didn't get him, and now we're kind of desperate for Grealish and Zaha. And they, you know, they could Grealish could turn into the next Berahino kind of thing. He could make a one different move and then then just get really fat and not play football anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and Zaha could go to Chelsea and be the next Willian, right? Oh yeah, or he could go to Chelsea and be the new Barkley and just never play. I think that's more likely, in all honesty. Nathan, have you got any transfers that stick out or transfer sagas that stick in your mind? The Moutinho one is uh, is dear to my heart. Uh, we sort of touched last week and we touched on it before, my uh, insomnia issues. I remember that summer I, I was suffering with it pretty badly. I'd, I'd been up the entire night before transfer deadline day and I stayed up against better judgment. And I was so tired and got to 11 or whatever it was and then it said, oh, we're extending it by two hours to get <laughs> Moutinho over the line and I stayed up and I stayed up I was so tired I I wanted to cry but I stayed up just refreshing the page <laughs> waiting and waiting and waiting and then it got past one and nothing had happened so I I was I was genuinely miserable so that is dear to me I think um I think the Moutinho one is a really interesting transfer that it might have things might have worked differently for AVB had he so. had that key player. He was he he came in and he identified. Obviously, David Silva was um, not uh, David Villa was obviously a bit too big and Hulk as well. But Moutinho was a player that we we could have we should have got, and um, he would have changed how our midfield played because that start of this season we had Livermore and Huddleston in midfield, 
and it was slow and ponderous and everything else that came along with the AVB team. Had we had his key player, it might have been different. I mean, we might not have Pochettino. You know, think that would that would have changed everything potentially. We might have just been uh, an, an Everton basically at this point. <laughs> so we have a couple of other questions before we sign off. First from the thoroughly lovely Greg Jenner, who says. Will Poch play a moody Toby Alderweireld? Will Kane score in August? Why isn't our third choice keeper an inspiring English talent so we can make so we can one day make him second choice and have one less foreign in, in our Champions League squad? All good questions, Greg. Should I start with Bardi? Yeah, I, I completely agree with that thing about the goalkeeper. Yeah. I mean, I've, I'm hungover today and I've been playing football manager on my balcony, and that's the kind of thing you do. You make sure you you pack your squad with English, or I'm playing in the Argentinian league, but you pack your squad with players who can play in that role. So if we've got a second-choice goalkeeper, why is... Like, Chelsea gone went and signed Rob Green kind of thing. It does make a sense from a squad point of view that we are kind of losing um, places by giving it to Vorm and Gazaniga. But um, will Toby Alderweireld play? I doubt it. Uh, will Kane score in August? Yeah, of course he will. And, yeah, they say I've answered all of those. <laughs> Nate? Uh, I think the Adavero thing, if he just, we don't sell him and he just sort of sticks around in the squads, then no, I think it it would require him sort of coming back with his tail between his legs and signing a new contract and apologising and, I don't know, maybe firing his agent or something in order to <laughs> really turn things around. And I, 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 there's a tiny bit of hope there. I think that that's possible. Um, Kane won't score in August is my prediction. And I think there was some debate about Gazaniga qualifying as, as homegrown. Do you know about that one? I'm pretty sure he doesn't. I th- okay. I've, no. I've gone back a little way, and I'm pretty sure he wasn't registered with an English club in time. I mean, he's one player we didn't mention when we were talking about the friendlies. I thought he did a really good job, actually. And he did look good. It's made me surprised that we've extended Vorm's contract because I think Gazanik is more than adequate as a second choice, mm. and therefore we could then promote one of the youngsters to third choice, which means one fewer players to list in the in the Premier League and Champions League squad. So that is a slightly weird one. I'm still hopeful that Alderweireld will stay, but it sounds from everything you read on on the internet that the deal with Manchester United is all but agreed. From his perspective, I just don't understand why, other than money, you would go to United because they they still look a bit of a mess to me. I still don't think under Mourinho they're going to really do anything, or certainly not fulfil their potential. Um, so I can only think that it's a financial thing. There we go. I think Kane will score in August. I think he he might not play against Newcastle. They might. Um, they might go with Son up front before he heads off to the Asian Games, but then I can see Kane playing the rest of the games. He won't want to miss too many, and I think he'll get that goal. Yeah, he'll score. A, he'll score a tapping, yeah, proper tapping match. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I hope he scores thirty penalties this year and doesn't score a goal from open play and wins a golden boot. That's what I want. Twenty penalties and ten direct from corners. <laughs> yeah, just twenty penalties. Ten tappings, golden boot. That be that will make my year. I'd rather have I'd rather have that than um, win the FA Cup. <laughs> Question from Nelson and Saha, who is a bit of a, a legend when it comes to questions for both the Fighting Cock and the Extra Inch. He says, which youth team players would be best to fill the gaps in the squad that will not be addressed this week? Where are the holes in question? We've kind of spoken about this um, so in our, in our previous podcast, but I think we all agree there's a gap in midfield. I think we all agree that if Toby were to go, there might be a gap in defence. And we were saying that if Rose were to go, we'd need to get something, need to get someone to play, um, to play left wing back. Where do we feel the the main gaps are at this point, Bardi, and and who might fill them? Um, you know, it's, I've been banging on about centre midfield. I have genuine fears about our centre midfield, and 
I didn't watch enough of the prem- of the preseason to know whether or not Amos can fill that role. But and I, I said when um, Nathan mentioned Alex from Bristol's tweet, I also commented on that that I think it would be reckless for us to go into the season without signing a centre midfielder. So there. Nathan, any any thoughts? Anything you'd like to add to that? Uh, it is potentially less reckless to not sign a central midfielder if we move to a four-one formation, which is something I've written about recently. Mm. Um, I think that if we were to sign Grealish, who is sort of borderline centre midfielder, you can make a case um, and and a winger. Then that can maybe work if we change how we use our fullbacks. Um, in terms of youth players, it looks like the the rumours and the suggestions and what's written in the press. It appears like Amos is in for. A possible start um, and I think that sort of speaks to our general strategy is that Amos is a few years older um, and he's sort of maybe in a better place to start right now but he probably doesn't have that higher ceiling and he's probably not going to be in the squad long term so it seems like we're playing him because he can fill in temporarily and then maybe that will boost his fee whereas we could go for Skip who's younger and maybe a bit rawer but long term might have a place in the squads and, and, and has the higher ceiling so I will be frustrated if it is Amos who gets minutes rather than Skip for those reasons. Okay, that's a, I mean that's a, I, I can see what you're saying there and I totally agree that Skip has obviously the, um, the higher ceiling of the two, he's a fantastic prospect but I think Amos for the time being is um, is certainly deserving of uh, an opportunity uh, particularly having shown Kind of, he couldn't have done a lot more out on his loan spell, and I think that kind of justifies his inclusion in in a sense. I mean, a, a few weeks ago, I'd have been saying that some of the young players that could have filled holes in the squad would have been Marcus Edwards, Keenan Bennett, maybe even Rhea Griffiths and Josh Onama. And we're now at a point where Bennett and Griffiths have gone. Edwards is likely to go as well, and Onama's not played a minute in preseason due to injury. So basically, none of them are likely to do anything in in the short term. And we're, like you say, we're looking at Amos, we're looking at potentially Georgiou filling a squad place, um, and, and maybe Skip. So who knows, there, there might be someone making a late run, someone um, who, who we've not yet considered, who might make a late run for the first team squad at some point. Um, maybe Sam Shashua, who's a creative uh, midfielder, who's, who's a really promising player. Um, and Walker Peters, of course, can fit a hole as well. So we'll see, there's, not, there's no one else really knocking down the door of the first team at the moment in terms of youth players. Poch seems to like Oakley Booth, but he's someone I'm not 100% sure on. Um, so it remains to be seen whether he can he can do anything. Final question in this episode is from Bankrupt, who rather acerbically says, who should our new manager be? <laughs> Buddy, is Pochettino going to leave us over this saga? Uh, I don't know. I I kind of tweeted earlier earlier in, uh, early in the week that I'd be really worried if... Um, Real Madrid have a crappy start to the year. What will happen there? But um, Pochettino will, will survive this season. But I think I think changes will have to be made. I think he's quite disappointed. I mean, I am now guessing Pochettino from what I've read, what I've seen and my own opinions. I don't have any insight into his mind. But I think he's got to be quite disappointed that the club is in this position and we've not taken the opportunity to properly move on in the new stadium. So I think that's probably weighing on his mind. And the fact that he is now getting linked to um, Real Madrid and PSG. I, th- I think if nothing happens this year, I think he might go. That's my fear. Nathan, were you concerned about his I'm not relaxed comments? I, yeah, the sort of suggestion going around is that he was tricked into signing this new contract uh, on the basis that he would be backed financially. And I just don't think he's um, dumb enough to sort of be duped by sort of a, a broken spoken word agreement. So <clears throat> I find it a little hard to say, 
oh, Levy's done him over because, I don't know, I just don't think... I think he is aware of, of, of the situation. Um, but even having said that, we have to deal with the fact that Pochner won't be with us forever. Yeah, he's clearly... A, he's a manager who has ambitions. You know, he left Southampton to join Tottenham to to move to the next stage in his career. And if at Tottenham we can't match his ambition, he wants, you know, as much as he has thrown on occasion an FA Cup match here and there, he does want to win things. He does want to become on, he does want to get to that kind of Guardiola, Mourinho level. So if we can't match his um, his ambition, he will leave us. And that's just how football works. Hopefully, we will give him that money and we will buy him the players that he wants and be able to win titles. But I don't know, I just have a fear, as I said earlier in this podcast, that Levy will never match his ambitions. And unfortunately, that will lead to Pochettino eventually leaving us. Well, let's hope that we get some players in whilst he's still with us that, uh, that maintain, our, um, maintain us being good, basically. Because yeah. I, I, could, I, I, can't face going back to, <laughs> I can't face going back to those dark days before Pochettino, quite frankly. He's... I mean, yeah, and I, just one more point. Sorry, um, and... Arsenal, for example, they've hired a new manager today, uh, this season, and they are now, like the rest of us, they are now in managerial roulette. You don't know how it's going to work out. And the fact that Pochettino has been so great, there's always the fear that the next manager comes in and it could be a, a Juan de Ramos. It's, you know, it's, you're now at the stage where you're 50-50. You don't know, unless you bring in Guardiola, you don't know how the next manager could go. So if Pochettino leaves, we could end up in another, you know, dark ages, another f- half a decade of, of crap. But no, I want to be positive. So no, but he's not going to leave us. We're going to be all right. It's all going to be okay, Chris. I'm so glad you said that because I was about to end the podcast there. And <laughs> I, could, I don't think any of our listeners would have been thrilled by that ending. No, I think no, no, fine. we're fine. We're it's fine. all fine. You know, he's going to leave the stadium. Yeah. Even if the worst happens, we don't sign anyone. We've still got a great young squad with more players who have yes. potential to improve. We've got a great academy who can provide us with backups. We can still easily achieve top four. We can win a cup. This is not the end. No. We'll be back next week to talk about the pre-season, about the season, the forthcoming season in general, uh, primarily from a Spurs perspective, but we'll touch on other clubs as well. Until then, thank you, Bardi and Nathan, and see you soon. It's the fighting. It's the fighting. Interesting, mate, yeah.